So today, we start a new series called On Duty, and I wanted to share with you just what that looks like and why this is the thought of this series. A few years back, April and I and the kids decided that we were going to take a trip, and April's mom lives in Arizona, so we used that as kind of the launch point to go to that magic place in California called Disneyland. Well, on the way there, we had the idea that we would stop for just a minute and enjoy the beach. Um, my kids never got to see the ocean at that point, and so we stopped at a place of majesty called Laguna Beach. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Laguna, but I'll just tell you that day it was probably in the 60s, and the water was like in the 30s. It was cold. But it was awesome, because as soon as you got super cold in the water, you stood on the shore for just a minute, and you warmed up quickly. It was awesome. But see, April and I, for a season, lived in southeast Texas. And so we got to be around Galveston a lot. And we used to take our students to Galveston Beach. And I don't know if you've ever seen the water in Galveston, but what should be ocean-colored comes out kind of brownish-green. It's beautiful. And you walk out onto what should be sand but looks more like dirt. And you... You walk out and you see stuff floating in from the ocean. And you start to go, that just doesn't look right. Because it's not. You're in the Gulf. It's just circulating nastiness. And we've taken our students there forever. But at Laguna, Laguna you could see as you walked out into the water, your feet until the water got to about here, you could see all the way to the ocean floor. It was awesome. But can I tell you, that's not what gave me peace that day. What gave me peace was, as we walked around, I noticed a, a lifeguard station. It was a, a kind of bricked-in area that had a guy standing at the top. And his whole job is, the whole time, he's just doing this. He's just watching the horizon. That gave me great peace because I'd never been to Laguna. I've never swam in that ocean in my life up until that point. And so I began to think how safe it was to know that there was someone that was watching us just in case. So I pulled out what it means to be a lifeguard in Laguna. When the people sign on, they sign a creed. It's a code of conduct. And, and there's things in there like, you know, don't drink and come into work. Uh, don't bring your phone with you. Always wear sunscreen. I mean, there's just some some honest points now, but I wanted to share with you a few key things that I think really speak to us. This on-duty series is a calling that when we are engaged with the gospel, it leads us to be on duty at all points in our life. We are called to be on guard for not only our lives, not only for our family's lives, not only for our church life, but for the world. God has called us to reach the world. And so, how do we know if we're on duty at that point? So I wanted to share with you just a few things that pop out from the Code of Conduct. Number one, remain ready at all times. Number two, remain vigilant, proactively scanning my zone at all times while I'm on duty. Number three, always position myself at the edge of the pool and face the water while on duty. Number four, always remember not to sit while on duty. Always be ready. Number five, don't be distracted from scanning even when talking with others on staff and around you. Number six, never leave your post. 
Number seven, remain a healthy lifestyle of fitness so that you can meet the demands of your physician. Number seven, actively participate in all service trainings and drills. Number eight, report any concerns you see to your supervisor as soon as possible. When you and I are called on duty, we stay vigilant at all times, we prepare ourselves continuously, and when we see a problem, we go to the one who can help us. And by the way, that's not your pastor. Um, I love being your pastor. But believe me, there is nothing I can do to spiritually help you. I can be there alongside you, but there is one that can. The reason I exist in church life is not because you can't read the Bible on your own. The reason my position exists is not because you can't visit people in the hospital. The reason my position exists is not because you can't stand on a stage and say something, even if it's wrong. The reason my position exists is because you need encouragement. You need someone that keeps pointing you to Jesus and pointing you to each other and going and getting after our world. So today, we're on duty together. When it really is truthfully down to its final things, we're reminded that we're all called by God according to His good purposes. We're all supposed to be vigilant. We're all supposed to be on duty. So let's look at the scripture together today. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. First part of 1 Timothy starts to tell us about our role. It says this, All who are under the yoke of slaves must regard, um, must regard their own masters to be worthy of all respect, so that God's name and teaching will not be blasphemed. Those who have believing masters should not be disrespectful to them, or have believing masters should not be disrespectful to them, uh, because they are brothers, but should serve them better, since those who have benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. And then we pick up where we want to be in our text today. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a sick interest. Um, has this, oh, pardon me, I just skipped like a whole passage. If anyone teaches any other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among those whose minds are depraved and deprived of truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. I want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever been in a church where these things happen all the time, where there's envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreements. Anybody ever been in a church like that? You're like, Brother Kyle, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Um, we, we've been here, right? And, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be like, not here. So what has happened when the church becomes exactly what this scripture's talking about? And I don't want you to think that for some reason that we're special or different. Let's not forget that as Paul writes Timothy, he's writing to him to encourage the church. He's writing him to talk to the people that would have shown up on a Sunday morning. And so how do we get to a place where we do better than where we are today? And it's by readmitting today that, well, frankly, let's just say it like it really is. Brother John and I were in here last night talking about this. It's time at a certain point where church quits being played and starts being lived. 
When we quit playing church and we start actually being the church, something changes. Our world shifts. Our church moves. Things happen differently than they did before. You know, I thought a lot about this. When I was little, me and my friends played Army. I don't know if y'all did this. We all had Nerf guns or bats or, you know, whatever we could find, we brought it out to the Army field. I think I took one of my dad's uh, fishing rods one day and broke it pretty badly. I remember facing the the penalty of that. Um, But we would always go out to play war. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, one of my buddies would shoot his Nerf gun in my direction, and I'd go, oh, 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 and I'd look for where I could fall. Oh, that hurts. And then I would fake die. And then I would go, I'm better now. Let's play again. You know, two of my buddies I grew up playing Army with went into the Army. One never came home. He gave his life on the field. I started to think, sometimes in life when reality sets in, we don't realize the gravity of the moment. And how often we come to church and we play our church roles and we play our church participation. We may even play our church giving. But how often have we played church only to find out that at the end of the day, there is nothing there for us. We've played the game, but nothing's happened because of it. Hasn't changed our worldview. Hasn't changed the outcome of our life. Hasn't changed our quiet time. Hasn't led to a stronger prayer life. It's just been okay. I would hope today that you would want something better than that. My hope is that you would want something better in your life than just showing up on Sunday. Sundays are good. Church is great. The Lord calls us to not forsake the gathering together. But I got to tell you, if this is the best you get every Sunday, it's going to fall short for you. When we gather together, we're gathering together as lifeguards on active duty, refreshing and getting ready. We're doing the drills so that when the doors open and you go out there, your eyes are constantly on the horizon for someone who needs Jesus. They need saving. So as we look at the scripture today, as we look at what Timothy says, let's just be reminded today that there is a lost world. When we say lost, we mean people that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And ultimately, scripture tells us that when their time comes, when the end of their days come, their last breath happens. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they spend eternity where? You can say it in church. It's okay. Where? In hell. That's correct. You know the reason we don't like to say it? It's not because it's a cuss word. It's because we don't like it. And we don't want anybody to go there. Listen, I had a friend growing up that became my, my enemy. He is the reason I learned how to fight. I was a short guy all my elementary school days until I graduated high school. I grew tremendously after high school. My high school football coach today will tell you that he wished I was the height I was when I played high school football. But I was short all my life. And in elementary, there are these two guys. Every day after school, kicked my tail. Every day. And so I learned. My house was down the street from the school. I had to walk home. And so I learned if I walked through the middle school building, there was about 200 yards from the middle school door to my front door of my house. I learned how to run quickly. And they also taught me how to fight. They taught me how to fight because if I didn't learn how, I would go home with bumps and bruises every day. I learned how to fight, and I was dirty. 
I was a street fighting kind of dude. I mean, my influences at the time were, were so small compared to my fighting skill. Chuck Norris wasn't a thing then, or I'd have been him. Instead, I watched Pee Wee Herman, and he wasn't a good fighter. And so I had to learn how to fight from them. As they punched me, I learned how they punched. As they kicked, I learned how they kicked. And I learned that the only way that I was going to get out of this was going to be to fight. And i got to tell you, the only way that you're going to break free from the Sunday Christian into a full week Christian is to fight. You've got to have some fight in you because the enemy's going to tell you you don't have to do anything. And that's a lie. It's time to fight. And the reason is there's a lost world out there that is waiting at the middle school door trying to get home and they don't know what's going to happen. And we hate hell so much, we don't want them to go there. Are you ready to fight? But see, lifeguards are always on duty. It means this, at Laguna Beach, I looked this up, they are on lifeguard duty there every day, 24-7, 365. That means this, there are days in Laguna that don't reach 40. On days that don't reach 40, the beach is kind of empty. And on those days, you know what they do? They walk out on their pedestal and they survey the horizon. You know why? Because they're always on duty because there's always that one guy. Right? It may be you. It's like, hey, I'm at the beach. I know it's 40, but I'm putting my feet in the ocean. See, we're always on duty because there's always somebody. There's a coworker, there's a family member, there's a neighbor, there's that guy in, in line in front of you at Walmart that needs Jesus. And God's called you to be on duty. So how do we know when we're on duty? The first is this. Scripture tells us that Jesus' teaching promotes godliness. It tells us this at the very first. It says that anyone, if anyone teaches another doctrine that does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, which means he is perverted in mind. He has done something wrong with his teaching, with something wrong with his belief system. It's more than just knowing that God's word is there. It makes you actionable. That's why we hear scripture say, don't just be hearers of the word. That's why we can't just be Sunday Christians. We must be doers of the word. You know, the only thing that's wrong with being just hearers of the words is it deceives you because you think you got it all together. When we're Monday kind of Christians and Thursday kind of Christians, we begin to show that Jesus is who he says he was. So right now, if you were to look in your own life and you were to really look down deep, who would you say Jesus is with you? Is he just your Sunday Savior? Or is he also your Monday Messiah? I could keep doing those, by the way, but I'm not going to. Today at Laguna, it's going to be 67 degrees. The beach will be packed. More lifeguards will be put out on duty, and they'll watch. Every day at Laguna Beach, the lifeguards have to save someone every day. Every day someone goes out and they choose to swim in the ocean. They get stung by a stingray, or they get a cramp, or they go out way too early after eating, and their stomach hurts them, and they can't make it back. But every day someone is saved at Laguna Beach. The part of Laguna that April and I went to is small. It was little, it was coved out, it was beautiful. We walked out, we laid out our little blanket. Our kids were excited, we, we made, you know, played in the sand, we walked out in the ocean, we gathered up seashells. And I began to think for a second, as, as where I was standing, the water would hit me about waist high. 
But for Mackenzie at the time, it came up to her chin. But what happened is as the waves went past us, it went down to her waist and it went down to about my knees. But then a big wave would come through and it hit me in the chest. And when that wave was coming, I would stand behind Mackenzie and I would lift her up. I'd set her right back down because as soon as the big wave came, it went way down. Those of y'all who have been in the ocean have felt that before. I'd set her down, and as soon as it would go down, our hands would go down to find more shells. We brought out a ton of them. I think we came home with three. Um, Praise the Lord. Um, But see, that's how this world's going to treat people in your life. The waves will come, and they will see a calm time, and they'll take their eyes off of the world, and they'll, they'll begin to reach down for a shell, and it'll hit them in the face. And in that moment, they're going to need you. They're going to need you. And you know the reason they're going to need you is they don't know which way is which. I don't know if you've ever been hit by a wave before. It kind of throws your world out. I mean, I, I'm not a gymnast, so my, my legs don't go over my head unless I get taken under by a wave or I'm in a car accident. One of, either way, I'm in trouble. I don't know about you. But in that moment when your feet are thrown up over your head and you lose sight of where the horizon is, you're in trouble. That's where a lifeguard steps in. They see you. They can save you. They can reach out for you. The next thing that we see in this passage is not only does God's teaching promote godliness, but it's also the missing, the truth makes us believe that we are the truth. We see this in Scripture. It says anything that's outside of that makes us conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes. This, this term of sick interest is really neat because this sick interest is a promoter of things not of God. It would be as though, you know, the most crazy thing you've ever seen on the internet, you watch on a continuous loop. You go, well, it's, it's normal. I heard someone say the other day that teenagers today are not blown away by uh, the disruption of, like, homicides and death because they've seen it. I mean, I don't know about you, but growing up when I saw bloodshed, it was generally like a, a bullet shot a guy and he went, oh, Oh, no. Ah, It's not the same today, is it? It's just not the same world we live in. It's desensitized, and that's what this person does. They desensitize the truth until they become their own truth. You ever met one of these guys? They're the ones sitting out in the ocean, going under the water and popping back up, coughing out water. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) I'm okay. I can stay. Lifeguard's like, dude, I can help you. No, I'm good. I'm an excellent. It's people that identify themselves as the real truth. God's not truth, I am. They start to place in the place of God what they think they need to believe. And the sick interest starts to become relevant. And then something changes in the scripture. And it's something that today I hope you get. And in our days, there's this this term, and it's called prosperity gospel. Some of y'all have seen this. Maybe you've heard it on TV. It's one of these where a minister will stand before you and simply tell you this. Here's what God wants for you. God wants you to be wealthy, good-looking, and healthy. Because if you're not, you need to give the church more money. Because then God can do that for you. Because God wants you wealthy, healthy, and good-looking. Listen, 
I have long given up the good-looking part when it comes to God. I'm like, Lord, you made me in this. Let's stick with it. Let's see what happens next. I mean, we can tweak things, right? I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever looked in the mirror and you go, like this ear right here, just so y'all know, next time you're talking to me, you'll be looking at it. When I was in elementary school, my parents were going through seminary. And a lady uh, in seminary with us said, I can cut your hair. And my parents went, awesome. So they let me go first. Thanks, Mom and Dad. So I sat down, and she said, I just got a brand new scissor kit, and I can, I can shave stuff. So she started with my neck and shaved and got me cleaned up. She got to clipping this hair right above my ear, and with her scissors, she cut the cartilage of my ear. So now I got this little cool speed bump on the side of my ear. So every time when I look in the mirror in the morning, I see speed bump ear. I was blessed that at any given moment, I can tell you what time it is outside because God gave me a sundial of a note. I can just be like, 3.30. You're welcome. I don't even need a watch. Um, I was blessed that, listen, one of my legs is longer than the other. That's awesome. So, like, I walk with a sway. Everybody just thinks I'm being awesome. I just can't stand still very long. i got to sway to one side or the other. So, like, we, we know who we are, right? Because we're our own worst enemy in the mirror. And in this passage, after it talks about this perverted mind, it says this. His conceit, at verse 4, says, Understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among peoples whose minds are depraved and deprived of truth. And listen to what it says at the end of this. Who imagine... That godliness is a way to material gain. This is, someone said one time, Brother Kyle, can you prove that prosperity gospel is wrong? And I go, I can prove who preaches that it's wrong. It says it right there, don't y'all? Don't y'all see it in verse 5? God's way is not a way to fill our pockets. In fact, if anything we hear the opposite in Scripture, don't store up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where a thief can come in and steal but rather store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There's such an opposite effect of this. It takes a different mindset. It takes people who are constantly on duty in their minds, who look out to a world and they review the horizon, and they look to people and say, I wonder if they know Jesus. I want to I talk to a particular audience for a second. If y'all can forgive me for just a second. Our Sandrak Christian kids, I want to just give you a challenge for just a minute. It's easy when we're in a culture that seems like Jesus is taught. But do your friends know Jesus? Have you asked them? All right, church people, you ready for your next one? It's easy when you walk into your office place and you see the person with Scripture on their wall. Do they know Jesus? Have you asked them? Hey, husband. When you go home today and in your house you walk around and you see the things that are on the walls, the scriptures, the Bibles out on the coffee table, have you asked your wife, do you know Jesus? What about your kids? What about your parents? What about your friends? You see, a lifeguard's always on duty. 
They always are looking across the horizon to see. They're always ready. They don't get entangled in the things that don't matter. They stay focused. And so the question today is this, and I left them there for you. I I hope you'll do this. In your connection, God, I left three questions that I want you to answer this week. Number one, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in Jesus? I don't want you just to give the quick answers. I think we're so quick to give the quick answers. Let's spend time with him. Let's review some scripture. The next, what evidence of Jesus do people see in my life? What evidence of Jesus do people see in my life? If we believe in Jesus, the evidence of him will start to rise out. That's how it works. I don't know if you remember the Powerade commercial from back in the day. Guy starts drinking Powerade, he starts moving around, and all of a sudden his sweat is the Powerade color. That's what Jesus does to people. When we believe in him and we place our trust and our hope and our faith in him, what comes out of us will be Jesus. That's how it works. The last is, what expectations do I have of Jesus? You see, we just heard of a person that said, but their minds are are twisted. And all they seek of Jesus is that he pats them on the back and gives them money. So what expectations do you have of Jesus? Lifeguards are always on duty. And so when they go to their post and, they, and they're on duty and they're surveying the scene and they get to the place where they're looking out for you and I, nothing should be distracting them. Their eyes are focused on you. Let me just ask you one last question. Today, who do you know that needs a lifeguard? Someone that's watching for them, checking their hearts, reviewing their spirits, encouraging them forward, leading them through prayer, leading them to Scripture. What are you asking of God to do in your life should always be echoed in God, what can I do for others? How can I benefit them? How can I love them? How can I serve them? Because that is exactly how 1 Timothy 6 starts. Those of you that can serve, serve joyfully. Do you know Jesus today? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you placed your trust in him? Have you given him your heart and your life and your future and your outcome? That no matter what would happen, that you would entrust with him the very fiber of your being. I'll finish with this. On Friday, we had Mercy Me and Micah Tyler here. And y'all know that Micah's one of our buddies. I got a chance to sit uh, during the Mercy Me time with Micah and, and just visit with him. I've known him 14 years. We kind of walked through that the other day. That's, that's crazy. Um, as we were talking, I, we were just walking through, like, what's happening in his world, what's happening here at the church, and what's happening in our joint worlds of people that we know and that we're praying for. And, and Micah said something I, I thought was so unique. This, the other day, Friday, was the first date of the tour. They could have done it anywhere. They could have gone to Dallas. They could have gone anywhere. They chose Amarillo, Texas as their first stop. And Mike has been on our stage several times. And he said, you know, it's like coming home. I got to lead from home. Because that was so incredible. He said, you can't even begin to know, Kyle, how great it was to walk through the halls of this church as we were preparing and having people from the church come up and hug my neck and saying, 
it is so good to see you, Micah. It's so good to see you. Man, how can we be praying for you? How are things going? How's Casey and the kids? Um, as we were talking, it, it reminded me as I was preparing for this series of all the people out there today that don't have a home. They don't have an earthly home. They don't have a spiritual home. They're wanderers. They're looking for somebody that'd be a lifeguard to them. Someone that would know their name. Someone that would find them. Someone would hug their neck. Someone that would say, how are you doing? My prayer is that today, that in our time of invitation, you would pray that would be you. You'd ask God to lead you to be on guard. And that today you would be someone's lifeguard because we all need saving would you be the person that's on duty today let's pray father in heaven our prayer is that during this time of invitation god that you would move god that you'd take your word and you'd let it go so far beyond what my words could ever do so father lead us as people who are called by your name god i believe in this room as someone that doesn't know you as savior and lord and so God, I pray that today that they would ask the question, how do I do that? They'd be willing to ask someone around them that that question. God, I believe that there's people in this room that need a place they can call family, a church family. God, I pray for that over them. God, and I also believe there's people that struggle with obedience in this room. Lord, we hear a term in Scripture that's called repentance, turning from our sins and turning towards a holy God, and it's never too late. We're never too far gone. We're never so damaged that you can't make us healed. So, Father, that's what we pray for over this time, God. Speak over us all, Lord. Let us be on guard. Let us be on duty today for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. Lead us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.